Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. The, the, the topic of tonight's message is being the night, Good Friday, um, where we remember what Jesus did on the cross all those years ago, 2,000 years ago. Um, I guess I just want to take this opportunity to help us all if we don't already understand why Jesus actually did what he did. Uh, it's all good and well to see the picture of Jesus on the cross. Who knows what I'm talking about where you see that picture of Christ on the cross or you see the, the statue <coughs> uh, and uh, there in that statue it depicts Christ uh, you know, half naked and bloody, hung there on a cross. Why, why, did, why did Jesus do that? If we don't understand actually why Jesus went through with that, it can just seem like another sort of benevolent God who's done something for us or exists or kind of is just there. And yes, everyone talks about the love of Jesus, right? Who knows that, that, that when you think about Jesus, you think about love. But what was about this act that actually makes us say that this was Jesus' love or this was God's love? What, what is that actually about? I want to tell you something, that the moment Christ hung on the cross, it was the moment that everything changed for humanity everything and uh and what's not talk about talked about enough is actually what it means the death of christ although it looks like a moment where jesus lost <laughs> although it looks like a moment where jesus actually failed although it looks like a moment where jesus actually what he came to achieve to be this victorious king was the exact opposite actually was Jesus' greatest victory. You have to understand this about the cross. What the cross and Jesus hanging on the cross, whenever you see that picture, yes, it depicts love, but what it actually, the greater meaning behind that moment is that Jesus conquered death. He conquered death. This was the moment that everything changed. Now, if Jesus had have stayed on the cross and then they had have taken him down and put him in a grave and then his bones just wasted away like every other human being's wastes away. He would have just been a good teacher. He would have just been a good prophet. He would have just been a good whatever with some nice moral teachings that we can learn from. You know, the great, some, one of the greatest speeches in history where he, where he gave the Sermon on the Mount. Great sermon great speech that anyone that from any walk of life can learn something from just like a speech of Gandhi or, or, or one of these greats who have given speeches throughout history but, but because he rose again and because he came to life <coughs> this death means something completely different this death means victory and I, I just want to explain it to you the first thing I need to help you understand is the concept of sin. Sin. A lot of people think about sin 
has been all of the naughty things that you've done in your life. Who knows what I'm talking about? When I say the word sin, it's like, oh man, don't talk about that because that's just that negative thing that we kind of just pass over in church life, right? Or that's that negative thing that we kind of just, we do our penance for in order to make sure that we're okay with God. But, but sin is, is not all, also, like it's not always what we think it is. See, sin is this. Sin is the naughty things that we do, but it's way more than that. Sin is anything that we do that is outside the will of God. And who knows this, that God's will is perfect. So he has a perfect will. So, so put it this way, he has a way that he wants us to live. God. He has a way that is set out for us to live. And in order for us to reach him and not be separate from him, he requires us to live up to that standard. But who knows the problem with that is what? <coughs> we can't. We can't. We have this will, this will. It's, it's that choice that we want to make where who's done something when they know that they should do something that would be right and yet they want to do something that would be wrong and they go and do it. Am I the only one in the room? <laughs> this is the problem of sin. See, this sin, God can't have sin. God's perfect will, it is perfect. So he can't take imperfection. You can't be in the room with God and be a sinner. Because his perfection will wipe you out. Do you understand? His holiness, you will cease to exist at the moment you see him. Because he's perfect. So, so, so this sin causes separation from God. This sin causes separation from God. Now stay with me, I'm getting to the point of the cross. I'm getting to the point of why Jesus had to die, why he did this. Stay with me, don't, I, don't want you to, I don't want to lose you. There's a scripture, John 3.16. Who knows this scripture? It's in, in the Bible, this is a kind of a famous one. It goes like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So here we have this problem of sin. We have this problem of separation from God because of sin. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But why did he give his son? Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't he do something else? Why couldn't he just send a thunderbolt? Why couldn't he just do anything else but send his own son to hang on a cross? I'll tell you why. The reason Jesus hung on a cross and died is because he was the only one who could take death, who could take the wrath of God, who could take the penance, the true penance. I'm not talking about the penance, the little one that you do, you know, that makes you feel like you've done your penance before this perfect God. The true penance for sin is death. <coughs> I'm on a course of antibiotics right now. Because I went to the dentist this week and had an uh, <coughs> implant put in my skull. They drilled in and it's like hurting and uh, 
the antibiotics have given me? Reflux. <coughs> and it's just awesome preaching when you've got reflux. So you have to excuse me <coughs> from coughing a little bit and all of that sort of stuff, but I am human. Rachel, I am, I promise. Rachel thinks I'm not. She tells me all the time. Yeah. Are you some sort of divine being? <laughs> no, she doesn't. She doesn't. I'm just being stupid. <coughs> Don't, what are you laughing at, Marianne? <clears throat> no one except God could survive physical death. I'll explain what I mean by that. If God being God, God is life. He is the one that breathed into Adam and Eve the breath of life. He's the one that carries life. He is life. Now, the problem with, with us is that once we get separate from God because of sin, what happens is we get separate from the source of life. Okay. He is life. In other words, you can't kill God. Okay. But he came in the flesh, this Jesus. He came as a man, fully man, at the same time as fully God. Fully man, at the same time he was fully God. Now the man side of Jesus, the fully man side of Jesus, the flesh and blood side of Jesus, well that could be killed. But the God side of Jesus, that can't be killed. So you have to understand something about what Jesus did, what God did. <clears throat> Through the ages, in the beginning of time, when, when sin became an apparent force in act that was separating humankind from God, He so loved the world that He saw a loophole. He saw a way that He could actually get us back to Him. And He said this, He said, If I send my Son... in the form of a man and he goes and dies on a cross the sin of the world will go upon him but he'll rise again it won't kill him but he'll carry all of the world's sins Jesus' death this act of love is actually the substitute in place of our death. That's why when he rose again, it was a victory. John, who was Jesus' cousin, he said this about Jesus when he saw him coming. He was the first one of the first people, one of the first people to actually realize that this was the Messiah. This was the one that had been prophesied out through the ages, thousands of years before. And he says in public, out loud, when Jesus is walking towards him in John 1.29, he says, it says there that the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. <clears throat> God made a way for us to be brought back to him. Before Christ, the way was that a spotless, perfect lamb would be sacrificed to cover our sins. 
God had made an agreement. And priests would go and they would sacrifice a lamb once a year, a perfect little lamb. But the problem with this way is that, firstly, there was no relationship with God. He was this separate force. Although He had made a way for us not to die and be separate from Him eternally, we never knew what it was like to actually have a relationship like we do today. And here's why, is because Jesus was a better priest. <clears throat> Jesus, when He died, He doesn't just stay on earth and remain our priest here, but He is our priest in heaven. And every time your name comes up in heaven, if He knows you, if He knows who you are and the way you get to know Jesus is the way, the way is you invite Him into your life and you begin to follow Him. If He knows you, every time your name comes up in heaven and the accuser, the devil, the one who wants to point out all of your flaws, the one who wants, to, who wants you to... Who want, he doesn't want you to live out the purpose that God created you for. When the accuser says, well, what about such and such? Or what about this person? Or what about that person? What about Ryan Waters? What about the sins that he has done? What about all of the stuff that he said? And what about all of that stuff that he did? God, you know what he did, right? God, you know what he said, right? And as the hammer's falling, the judgment of God, the penalty of my sin, which means death and eternal separation from God, Jesus says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. My death, it's on me. It's on me. That's what he says every time. This is what he says for you. He is our great and eternal priest who stands in heaven. And as long as your name is in the door, you've got access. As long as he knows who you are. And I, I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to, get, to let Jesus know who you are. You're accepted. And because of his sacrifice... The sacrifice that you once would have had to have paid, you'll never pay. When our bodies give up, we go and meet our Savior, Jesus. <laughs> I want to ask, I want to I tell you something, that Jesus' death, <clears throat> although it was a moment of sorrow, and although it would have been painful for God, to do what he did. Sometimes what gets overemphasized is the suffering of Christ. Yes, he did suffer. Yes, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did question God and he did say to God, God, if this cup could be passed from me, if there's another way that we can go about this and still have mankind redeemed back and still have mankind in relationship with you, if there's another way we can do this, please, but, but, but if it's not, then let your will be done. He said that to God the moments before he was arrested and taken to the cross. Yes, it was a time of suffering. But what actually is 
the most important thing to know about this is that it was a time of victory. Then when you see that picture of Jesus on the cross, you can look at your own life and say, because of that, I can live. Because he lived. Oh man, I want to I show you a scripture, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse uh, 45. How are your fingers going, Rohan? You all right there, mate? You okay? If Rohan's fingers fall off, could someone else just replace him? Because I like what he's doing. Let me read this to you. I'm just going to read this through. This is the story of where Jesus died. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. <clears throat> About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah, who's an old prophet from the Old Testament in the Bible. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Let me just add that this little note was put in there because it was a prophecy that was given about a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross. And, and, and all throughout the Gospels, you've got to understand, there's four different authors that all tell the same story. I just, want to, I just want to ask you a question. This is just on the side. Who are the, what other writings have you come across, holy writings written by holy people or whatever, have you come across where four different authors, not the actual person who was the person to be worshipped, actually write about it and all say the same thing? Okay, that's interesting to note. And also a lot of the, the details that are put in there, like why would they put in... That, that someone ran up with a, with a stick with wine on the end of it. Why would they put that in? Because it was prophesied. It's important to note that someone else had said this was going to happen and this was how you will know that this is the Messiah. There was, there was about a thousand of these different prophecies that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. Just a little aside to give you something to think about if you're searching out and wondering about this Jesus and whether or not it's true. There's a lot of evidence. Then the rest said, uh, yeah, he offered it to Jesus to drink. Then uh, the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus cried out again, in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Okay? At that moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion, the Roman guard who was there at the base of the cross, guarding the cross, and those with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified and exclaimed, Surely, surely, he was the Son of God. Many women there watching from a distance, they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Once again, why are all those people's names listed? Because they're witnesses to this act in history. They're real people who witnessed and saw what actually happened. That's why their name is listed. If this was just a made-up story, you wouldn't be needing to list witnesses. But the, the moment I want to just focus in on is the moment when he gave up his spirit, his body, the sacrifice was complete. The moment that sacrifice was complete and the wrath of God was satisfied that was meant for you and I, what happened? What happened? There's a note in there, there's something put in there about a temple. 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What's interesting about this is that this curtain wasn't just like the flimsy curtains that you get down at Crawford Market. <laughs> this wasn't even like, a, if you can think of a, you know, when you go to a hotel and you have those blackout curtains. How good are those curtains? I love those curtains. You sleep for, how, who slept past breakfast because of the blackout curtains in their hotel room? <laughs> I have. It's, it's, it's happy and sad. because you're happy, happy because you slept, sad because you missed out on the buffet, right? <laughs> Free breakfast is always something good. Those curtains are so thick, you know, and they block out all the sound, they block out all the light. Well, this curtain was about two foot thick, okay? There's a thick curtain. This wasn't like something you could just like, this was like... To get through this, it was purposely thick because it went into where the presence of God was. Up until that time, there was one place where the presence of God was, and it was in this place, in the temple. It was the only place where God was present. You understand? God was separate. Why was He separate? Because of sin. There was only one man that could go in and, and do it. And the amount of ritual sacrifices and the amount of stuff that he would have to go through in order to go into that temple and actually into that most holy place and offer the sacrifices were like crazy. It's like listed. It's like chapter after chapter of these lists of all the things that this man would have to do. And he would even have to wear bells on, the, on, on his uh, tunic. And the bells were there so that if the bells stopped ringing, they knew that he was dead. Okay? So all of a sudden, Jesus, he, he gives up his spirit. He dies. God's wrath is satisfied. And all of a sudden, there's an invitation for every person into the most holy place where there's no longer any separation, where there's no longer any need for you to go through anything except just believe. Because God's wrath was satisfied. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm okay. I'll cough it out. I'm a tough guy. Jesus opened up the divide. Jesus bridged the gap that was there between 
you and I, when you see the cross, not you and I, us and God, sorry. When you see the cross, when you see the cross, there's one thing that you can think about, that it was a bridge that was made between you and God. That cliff that was there between Him because of your sin was removed. He bridged the gap. And then He rose again. And then He rose again. This would mean nothing if He didn't rise again. This would all be a funny old story, but He rose again. In 1 Corinthians verse 15, 3 to 8, Well, hold on. Let me just read from verse um, 28 of, of, of Matthew. This is the part where Jesus rose again. And I'm going to talk about this more on Sunday. You have to come on Sunday. We're going to do a communion service. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the, others, uh, Mary, and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I'll add that Pilate, who was the Roman ruler, the governor over that, he was the chief, like the chief minister over that area, he had put, a, he had put a, uh, like the king's seal on, on the stone. So like there was no way any man could move that seal off. Plus there was guards out the front. But an angel comes and rolls the stone back. And this uh, chap in verse 3, his appearance was light lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Well, once again, the reason this is in there is because someone, the person who wrote the book of Matthew, went and interviewed these guards. Do you understand? Like he, he, they, that, that's why this detail is in there. Then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He's not here. Could you imagine being told this? He's not here. Where is he? Well, he is risen. Just as he had said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I love this story. It's, it's kind of, there's comedy in it. It, it kind of adds this whole element. It's like, could you imagine? There's Jesus. Greetings. Hello. Everything's fine. They came to him. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. There they will see me. Later on, one of the other disciples who came a little later, a guy called Paul, in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, he says this, and this is really interesting. He says this, verse 3 to 8, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Right? So the way Jesus died, what he did, when he's saying according to the scripture, what he's saying is according to the ancient texts that were written about him, that this was what he would need to do in order to fulfill God's wrath. Okay? That he was buried, that he was 
raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, once again according to prophecy, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, the twelve of the twelve disciples, the, the main guys that Jesus walked with. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them who are still living, not now, but then when they wrote this, when Paul wrote this, you understand? This was like still current. When Paul wrote this, he's saying, some of the people are still alive. You can go and double check with them. They saw him alive. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. That's Paul talking about himself. That's important. That's important to note. You have to think about this in terms of logic, in terms of, I know this story may seem a little distant, but you have to understand the thing about the New Testament, about these Gospels. These Gospels were written in the lifetime of the people whom they were about. Every other book that's ever been written, any other holy book, most of them have been written four, five hundred. Some of them have been written 900 years later, where it's been verbally talked about but never written down. By the time it gets written down, well, it's passed through so many sources that you don't know. But here we have these Gospels, these records of the resurrection of Jesus that were written in the lifetime of the witnesses who saw Jesus who saw the resurrection, who saw it with their own eyes. The, the soldiers who felt the earth shake the moment Jesus died. The priests who were in the temple, who were standing there, they would have been, it was, it was actually Passover, they would have been there offering sacrifices like as they're supposed to do. And all of a sudden the ground starts shaking and a two-foot curtain tears in two from top to bottom. God strikes it. And from that moment on, everything changed for you and I, everything. The victory over death, which gives us, you and I, victory over death as we follow Him. The open tomb with no Jesus in it and the open temple where God has gotten out and has spread all over. This is an invitation to you and I into a kingdom. There's nothing like this world. It is a kingdom of peace. It is a kingdom of love. It is a kingdom of hope. It is a kingdom ruled by a king who is perfect. What is it in us human beings? We're always looking for someone that we can look up to. We're always looking for that perfect person and we get so let down when people in authority just let us down. I think this generation today, if you're a millennial, has seen so much of, of corruption, has, been, has seen so much of men and women who have stood on podiums and led human beings and then in the same time, stuff comes up about them. And we just end up so disappointed and a little despondent about life, a little bit despondent about, well, what's the point? 
There are more people these days that are suffering depression than ever before. There are more people these days who are, who are suffering things that past generations haven't suffered. Because, because of the way the world is, the way society is, and all of the pressure. And, you know, at the end of the day, we go, man, I just wish there would be someone who I could look up to. That is something that has been sown in us by the God who created us. We are meant to have someone we can look to who is perfect, who is holy, who is amazing. And that is God. That's why we worship. And here we have Jesus coming because God the Father, He loved the world so much. He didn't want us to be lost as orphans without a father in this world. He wanted us to have a relationship with Him. Because that's actually how we were designed. It's what we were meant to have. He makes a way for us. This Father. Let me tell you something. This Father God is a God who will never let you down. As you come into the kingdom of God, the only thing is, is <laughs> you come in. You know, I'm a foreigner, right? You may have noticed that. <laughs> I've been here six years now in good old Mumbai Bombay whatever you want to call it and I love this city I love this place there's good coffee here now there wasn't when I first came <laughs> and uh, here's the deal as a foreigner, me coming in, I've had to learn a few lessons about myself. Uh, I've learned some really good lessons about my own arrogance, my own pride. Um, who knows this? I'll, tell, I'll let you in on a secret. Every culture thinks it's better than the other culture, right? Except for Indians or... So when you come in and live in another culture, right, if, I don't know if you've experienced this, if you've gone to other places, you go to those places and you're like, okay, I'm happy to be here, but I'm better, you know. <laughs> or is that just me? <laughs> Let's be honest. For me to live in this kingdom, that's what India is, it's a democracy, this, that, whatever, but it's a kingdom. It's a completely different culture. I've had to let go of some things that I was holding on to. And I've had to learn some pretty big lessons. When we come in to the kingdom of God, we have to let go of some things. You have to understand that you walk into a completely different culture with a king who rules like no other king. Now, he's made it very plain and clear for us. And, you know, people have made a lot of money out of this book. People have built all sorts of religions and have, all, had, have, have had all sorts of power over all sorts of human beings just because of what's written in this book. But every one of you can walk down to a bookstore and start reading this thing. It's for you. It's written in plain English or Hindi or Marathi or Gujarati or whatever the heck you want to read in. It's all there for you to understand how this kingdom works. When I first moved here, I was like, okay, i got to find some books that help me to understand this culture. You know what I ended up reading? Shantaram. 
They didn't help me one book, one bit. I was just like, it's a good book, it's nice, but half of it's not true. And all I'm thinking about Leopold's, I've got to go and sit at Leopold's. And, you know, and, I, and one day I think I saw that fellow who wrote it with his long hair and his funny bike and all of that. And, you know, but here we have a book written to us that helps us understand what this kingdom is about. Plus, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, because of what he did, the greatest thing that wasn't possible before is that God himself, if we want to invite him into our life, because of what Jesus has done, comes in the form of the Spirit and lives in us if we invite him. And he makes us into his temple. You, you may wonder why we don't sort of make this room look like a temple so much. It just looks like a room. Why hasn't it looked like, why isn't there anything? Because you know why? The temple's sitting right next to you. We are all temples. And, 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 and today, tonight, you can invite Jesus in. Let me tell you something. When you've got God living inside of you, and when you begin to understand His Bible, this letter, this love letter written to humanity, it changes everything. And yes, it is coming into a different culture. And yes, it does kind of disorient you a little bit, but it's not in a bad way. It's in a good way. You start to learn some stuff that is actually destroying you that you've got to let go of. Some behaviors that are destructive. Then God begins to say, you know what, that you can let go of. <laughs> we are invited into a kingdom. And the crazy thing about this kingdom that we're invited into, the king of this kingdom, well, Jesus, he claimed that this king was actually our father. And, and, and the whole point of Jesus coming is he came as our older brother to come and rescue us back to our family that we were meant to be in. If God has gone to all of these lengths for you, it would, it, would, it would do you so much good to understand completely what the message of this is all about. It's not, he didn't come to create enough religion. Who knows that there is enough religions in this world? We are, we are C3 Mumbai. I am not here to start another religion. I, I, I'm not interested in that sort of thing. What I'm interested in is this message of the gospel that Jesus came, died so that we could have life and have a relationship with Him, and that this Jesus is our older brother, that He Himself came to rescue us and take us home to our Father. Here's some things that you need to know. The first thing is just come as you are. So many people are thinking, oh, I'm not ready for God because I'm not ready. I'm still up to naughty things. I'm still doing things that I wish I wouldn't do. I'm still this, I'm still that. And you know, I, I, I'll just get my life right and then I'll come. That's not how it works. Come as you are. You're forgetting the gospel. See, the, the wrath of God was put on Jesus. It killed him. If he, put his, if he put the wrath on you for all that you've done on the spot, it'd be over. But he didn't. He's given you a chance, this lifetime that we have, this, this space before we meet God and, and are judged for everything that we do. This moment right now is our chance to be reunited back to God. And all you have to do is just come as you are. You don't have to be ready. 
if there's an inkling, if there's a smallest, if there's a tiny bit of faith in your heart, just a, something there, just come. Just come. Number two, come ready to learn. And know that what you'll learn will change your entire life. Come ready to learn. And just know that what you'll learn will change everything. And number three, you'll always be growing. When you start walking with God, even the bad things in life, even the bad circumstances in life, you'll actually begin to grow through and grow in. You know that? So many people are like, oh, I don't know why I've got such bad stuff going on. And we'll have bad stuff going on in life. But when you've got the Holy Spirit walking with you and in you, and He's there present and He's guiding you through it, you begin to actually walk through life with different eyes. You see through things differently. Relationships that were once broken somehow get fixed. Stuff that was like lying kind of bare that you've just left behind that you couldn't deal with anymore these things get restored and things change because you've, you're suddenly seeing life differently because you've got the Holy Spirit because you've become a temple. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3Mumbai.